Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, a bit later in the program, we'll have our uh, uh, comments on from the Harvard Business Review, some of the little tips there that would help us to uh, grow our business. Also talking with Christina Gerakaitis about the uh, Hunter uh, Innovation Festival and the wrap-up for that. But right now we're going to join Jeff Ingram from the Franchising Professionals and have a chat about his franchising for you. Good afternoon, Jess, Jeff. Hi, hi, Julian, how are you? I'm very well, and yourself? I'm great, thanks. Good to be talking with you again. It's a while since we've had you on the show, isn't it? It is, it has been a little while. Well, I know know a lot of people sort of think uh, franchising is probably a a way of going into business. Um, So what type of people might be suited to to franchising? Primarily, people who, who like the idea of going to business for themselves, but they, they might not have a, a lot of uh, business experience. Um, also, people people who, who are team happy to be a team player. If you're if you're uh, uh, like to do everything on the fly, live live and die by your own rules, it's probably not so suited for franchising because it's a, it's a team team game. Um, and and with, as I said, those people with with little business experience who want to minimise their risk, it's a it's a great entry point into someone going into business for yourself. But it's a it's a slightly different ver- version of doing that. So, what are some of the attractions of going down the franchising path? Well, as we've discussed before, there's it. It should you should have a complete blueprint as to how to operate your business, plus have it the benefit of the. Uh, the collective um, experience of the franchisor who's, who's hopefully proven that business with pilot programs and you've got the combined learnings of, of the existing franchisees who are also also helping make that business model a better model every day. There's, you also have um, proven systems and structures. You should get things like competitive pricing from your suppliers, have a strong brand um, and there's also credibility. As, as that group grows, um, it, it sometimes brings the franchisee credibility, and, and they can also um, sometimes tender on bigger projects. They can they can call in help from other franchisees to do regional, state, national types of uh, relationships. So, so there are some of the attractions. What would be the features that we should be looking for in a franchise? Because there's so many out there. There are. You're absolutely right. They uh, there's a huge variety, and, and I think it, uh, as any business, it has to fit your personality. And uh, it has to fit the personality of your, of your family and your, and, your, and your partner particularly. I've always uh, said to any potential franchisees, you know, is your partner on board with this? And, and they have to be involved. Um, there's no point just buying a job. Uh, as, as we all know, going into business, it's always a good idea to think about your exit plan. So have a look. Is there equity? Is there potential for equity growth in that business? And how will you equity, How will you exit? And and uh, what what will you um, what would you expect after having operated the business for some time? You need to check out the the, the systems and the branding. As with all businesses, is it profitable? Um, get detailed information from the franchise. Or what are their expectations? Do you need to operate the rate the business seven days a week after hours? What sort of reporting obligations are there? Does the does the um, does the product or the service have a have a proven sales history and are there any potential finance, financing um, opportunities from the franchisor or, or a partner bank, perhaps? 
Uh, and you mentioned there that the person has to have the right personality for the franchise or even for going in for business that, for that point of view. A lot of people think they, they buy a franchise, all the uh, marketing and all the uh, clients are going to be handed to them, but they've still got to do quite a bit of marketing themselves, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's another important feature. Um, and, and they've got to deal with the franchise or staff. So do if, uh, meet the franchise or staff. Are they people you can work with because you're going to be reliant on them? Um, you're going to be, uh, you know, there's a working relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor. And if there are people in that organisation that you're going to have roadblocks with or problems, you know, maybe you, you need to look elsewhere. And, you, and you're absolutely right about, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not giving to you on a platter. Every, you still have to operate the business. You still have to do the basic functions. There may be some advantages and benefits that might be a little bit easier, but, but that's what you get. So I, I suppose how much is it going to cost me to get into it is like asking how long's a piece of string. <laughs> that's exactly what I would have said. You're absolutely right. There, as you said, there's a huge variety. You know, you can look at franchises starting at maybe 10000 all the way up to millions of dollars, and there are so many factors um, that... Um, that depend upon there might be a, a large outlays of plant and equipment. Uh, you might have businesses that are uh, that are well and truly established and, and uh, they've, they've got good profit. Or you might have a franchisor who's in the growth and expansion stage and so they, they price enticingly to try and encourage those early adopters in to prove their model because as, that, as more and more franchises are successful, the whole network uh, value and the value of each of those franchises increase and for the franchisor. So... There's an enormous variety there. You're absolutely right. And I suppose the other things that they have to consider is not just this uh, um, upfront fee, but uh, any ongoing fees and yeah. marketing fees and other uh, and buying products from certain areas and those sorts of things. That's right. You the, you talked about royalty, advertising contributions, and uh, you know there've been mistakes made by franchisors in the past with um, people selling stock and being forced to have to buy new stock, and and that that proved to be very unsuccessful and hopefully the industry as a whole has learned from that but these are these are considerations you absolutely have to factor in for sure. So uh, what sort of uh, due diligence should someone do when they're considering a franchise? Well as I said um, meet and get to know the franchise or staff um, as well as uh, franchisees but what I'd also try and do is try and get in touch with um, ex-franchisees people who've been in the system and have perhaps sold on or or moved on for whatever reason, they, they have no skin in the game anymore, so you're likely to get some very honest feedback. Um, the, uh, the Franchise Council of Australia is a good resource because they, they have their ear to the ground and you can see if there have been any, any issues, if they're hearing grumblings or if they're hearing um, you know, good positive or negative feedback. Obviously, there are contracts involved and documentation, operations manuals and... and, and uh, disclosure documents to be read and understood so you know a solicitor and accountant is always um is always an important resource there and uh i would also try and speak to the franchisees customers you know mm. we talk about doing a ride around so yeah. i see people why are you why are you you know buying this from us what, what do you think about it what's your feedback um have you done it before is this the first time you've used this and would you keep using us and what do you like about it because mm. that's going to give you a real insight in the business and of course the, the history of the franchise or the how long has he been in business or are you his first franchise absolutely absolutely and it's always a good idea when you sign that information um, we talked about cost of entry 
ask the franchise or if it's ne- anything's negotiable. If, yeah. that, if that is negotiable, don't don't uh, don't be afraid to uh, to ask the question. The only the only thing they're going to say is no. That's the worst of it. Well, thanks for your time again, Jeff. Uh, we might have a chat with you about uh, uh, the other side of the coin and making me business franchise a bull one day. Okay, sounds great. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Julian. Bye-bye. It's time to pop over to our girl, Christina, for a minute on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. What a lovely introduction. Thank you, Julian. Well, the song fit oh. in there, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It was a lovely segue. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so you're down in Sydney again in nice cold weather. Yes, I am, and I know you were down here yesterday. I think I've got the better end of it because <laughs> I don't have the wind and you did. <laughs> so, so, so the yeah. uh, Hunter Innovation Festival finished last Friday, and we thought we'd have a chat about that. First of all, the uh, the women in innovation. Yeah, it was it was a fabulous discussion. Um, we had some wonderful panelists. So I just thought I'd, I'd go through a couple of the key points that came out. Um, and really, I think I'm going through these to stimulate further discussion. So uh, Catherine and Amanda Graham from Seniors Housing Online, they were talking about uh, a conference that they went to just to highlight the, the difference in the um, in the gender equation that mm. happens um, in the field. So they went to a conference and there were 198 males at the conference there were 200 people at the conference all up. They were the only two females nice. to actually have attended the conference. Wow. Uh, it was a it was a tech conference. Yeah. And the other thing that they mentioned was um, there was there's, it's not only the the gender barrier, but there's a bit of ageism as well coming okay. across. So a lot of uh, a lot of the tech conferences are very much um, attended by young white males yeah. in hoodies. Yeah. Uh, and so they were they were referred to at that point in time as ladies, and uh, almost patted on the head and told to sit down and, and not do a lot. Oh, um, but the, yeah, um, so that highlight. She said everywhere else we go to, we're referred as girls, but we were at this tech conference, and everybody and these young guys in hoodies were referring to us as ladies. Um, and they weren't being like it wasn't a, a bad thing. They weren't saying it badly. It was just no. a, um, an observation that they had made. So particularly in the fact that there were 198 males and, yeah. and they were the only two females there. That was quite an outstanding um, difference. Sue Ann Ware, who's a professor at the University of Newcastle. Now, she is um, she's number seven out of 14 children, which makes this next thing that she brought to our attention quite, quite um, predominant. She said there was a, a, a university, the one that she was previously at um, before Newcastle, she said she became the only or the first, if you like, female professor. She said, I went from being 7 out of 14 to being number 1. Um, she said, I always wanted to be first at something, but it, it didn't have a great ring for her that she would be the first female professor uh, at a university was in, in architecture, which is her specialty, mm. um, didn't, ring, didn't ring well with her. She also um, talked about Julia Gillard being the first female prime mm. minister um, and really the lack of support she got... Um, yeah. Or, you know, and not that you need to go and give somebody extra support because they're female, but people were, were happy to put her down um, quickly, I guess, if you're not yeah. yeah, because she was female, but we weren't as, as happy or we weren't as fast to protect her. You know, it, it's like yeah. damned if you do and damned if you don't sort of thing. Uh, one interesting fact I'd like to point out is we had six men um, in the audience uh, and we're looking at ways that we can address that next year. Uh, and I think I might have mentioned to you before, like I have gone to all male speaking Sessions. events and I don't I don't ring up and go, hey, I'm a female, can I come to that event? 
but people, um, but, you the know, a around. large percentage of the, yeah, a large percentage of the population thought that they couldn't come because it was a women in innovation event. So, yeah. really need to address that um, if we run the panel again next year. And uh, Olivia Ollie, who sorry, yes, you gone. I was going to move on to Friday, but you, I'm sorry, no, you keep going. Uh, well, I've got. I just got one more. Olivia, yep. who um, is in in television, in video production, and they make world class documentaries. Actually, said that she works largely with a female cohort. So that's quite interesting. Um, in that in that whole television film yeah. media industry, because it was predominantly, or it is predominantly male, but Olivia tends to find herself working largely with um, females. I, yeah, I will move on to Friday because <laughs> before I run out of time, yeah. I talk too much. Um, it, what what really. Uh, came home to me, Julian, and I was, I was so happy to be a part of the Hunter Innovation Festival because of this. Uh, we put, throughout the week, we put five um, young businesses, five entrepreneurs in front of uh, a whole lot of people. And I think one of the things that, that ticked my feel-good um, indicators was that every single one of those people that presented during the week have been approached either to, for somebody to help them further along, to invest in their business, to give them some advice to take them on as a prototype. So I think there's a, a, a real sense of community out there uh, that will help young entrepreneurs, that will help young businesses. They're not all, all young, I shouldn't say that. Some of them Anyone. are, you know, some of them are yep. quite, yeah, they're, they're older people. Um, and Irregardless of, of age or gender or anything else, there's a real um, feeling, I guess, in our community that if people find out about things, they will get on board and support it. So all I can say is, the more, um, the more times we can showcase different businesses, businesses. different organisations, yeah, the, the better we are off as, we are as a community uh, and just get along to some of these things and support some of these events that are going on out there because you don't know where the gold's going to come. Exactly, yeah. And uh, um, it's, I mean, I think you're going to see uh, a lot of older people actually starting businesses too, soon too. Some there is a trend towards that, yeah. Yeah but reaching uh, retirement age and then not finding there's quite enough money so looking into setting up businesses that will support them yeah and also just i've had i've had several people um as clients that go you know what i've got an opportunity now i'm just going to take it I'm, mm. this is almost my second career uh, the girls from seniors housing online said that this is yeah. a second career for them they spent a lot of time um working in their original you know what they did when they came out of school what they trained for but now they're doing something that they came came to through necessity uh, they were looking for you know looking for an aged care facility for one of their fathers yeah. uh, and went well hey there's a lack of information how can we pull all this together there it is you know and like Jennifer Holland throat scope he's a his you know here I am holding on yeah there's opportunity in creating something new because you notice the problem you notice the pain point you notice what's missing okay. of opportunity well thanks for your time again you go and enjoy Sydney we'll have a chat with you again next week Okay, Julian, look forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, just time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips now, and this one's an interesting one, how to fake the confidence you need. When you're feeling overwhelmed and in over your head, the best way to power through is to pretend you've got the confidence you need to get something done. And these strategies can help you fake it till you make it. First of all, think positively. The more you focus on what's scary about the challenge, the more intimidated you feel. Try framing your new team, project or initiative not as a threat, but as an opportunity to do something new. Then watch and learn. Observe how others lead. Pay attention to how they use humour, silence and charisma to influence others. 
then tailor those tactics to suit your own individual style. And finally, use bold body language. Take long strides, sit up straight, walk with your chest held high, don't slouch, Carrying yourself in a way that conveys power, poise and healthy pride helps you feel more self-assured, which comes across to others. So it's great advice there, particularly if you're doing uh, presentations, which uh, a lot of people feel a lack of confidence in. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at his franchising for you and a wrap-up to the uh, Hunter Innovation Festival. In a moment, Dave Cochran will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as the great inventor Thomas Edison once said, there's a way to do it better. Find it. <laughs>